Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, January 9th. Excuse me, Thursday, June 9th, 2022. I'm John Pophoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Christine Rosen is on leave through the summer, and we are on the verge of the hearings into the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, which debut uh, in prime time tonight with uh, bells and whistles and video footage. And uh, the real question, I guess, is are, have they been saving, have they been disciplined enough to save a killer news story that will top and lead the hearings to propel these into a different category than just something that MSNBC and, and CNN are going to thrill to and that Fox can ignore. Uh, because it seems to me, if you follow the model of the September 11th hearings, the committee held in its hand that uh, Al-Qaeda determined to attack inside the U.S. document that it confronted Condoleezza Rice with on the first day and that took those hearings into another realm uh, because they managed to hold a piece of news and force the administration to react to it. I, I think it was a crap story in its own way, but that doesn't matter because it really did have an enormous effect. And I guess that's if they're actually staging this for the purposes of accelerating it into the stratosphere. Can anybody imagine what that would be? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. We're supposedly going to be privy to what uh, committee aides call, according to the New York Times, a small but, quote, meaningful portion of the recorded interviews its investigators conducted with at least a thousand witnesses, including Trump officials and including Trump family members, possibly. Ivanka, Jared Kushner, Don Trump Jr. So who knows? Um, the idea that you're going to hear something new and meaningful seems unlikely, but it'd be unwise, I suppose, to prejudge it. The idea that some sort of smoking gun document would emerge seems fanciful, and it certainly wouldn't move the needle because it wouldn't be this theatrical event that they're trying to put together here. What we're, we're privy to dramaturgy. So you expect dramatics. Yeah, I mean, so the, they're going to lead with uh, video footage uh, of uh, Trump advisors, right, talking about um, uh, what they experienced uh, in their dealings with the president and with um, testimony about the Proud Boys. Um, so which which seems to me that this is not about breaking news, but about creating an impression and drawing a link, um, trying to draw a link in the in the public's mind. Um, it's it's much more about um, sort of impressionistic result than uh, than I think a, an explosive story. Well, if they can establish some sort of actual <clears throat> um, meaningful material um, support or um, or link between Trump officials, Trump campaign officials, White House officials, and and members of the Proud Boys who are recently indicted on conspiracy charges related to January sixth, I suppose that would be a meaningful revelation. 
Okay, so none of what you're talking about would fit the category that I'm that I'm mentioning. It has to be a thing. It has to be a moment, a document, a conversation, a piece of tape that says that Trump was involved in making this happen, I, I believe. In other words, if it's Mark Meadows is involved in making this happen, it's not sufficient. If it's if it's Trump said, I hope they come why break into Trump's, the cat. Why wouldn't Trump's White House chief of staff be sufficient? I'm talking about a game changer moment that throws. I mean, if Trump's White House chiefs of staff being involved in this, hypothetically, your own hypothetical, if that's not sufficient to move the needle, nothing would be. Oh, no, I'm about to explain what I think you have to throw the the election was stolen and uh, and uh, you have to throw the Trump crowd on the defensive. Their line now is this is all, you know, partisan hijinks and tomfoolery uh and uh and no one needs to pay attention fox doesn't need to run it in prime time because it's all nonsense and it's just democrats trying to stave off disaster in 2022 and make an excuse for biden so the question is is there a news story is there a thing is there a is there a uh, a thing that has to directly involve trump in my view that would force them on the defensive and 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 i i don't know what that is by definition i'm talking about a surprise so how can you determine what the surprise would be there's all this talk about an aide named cassidy hutchinson i believe um who uh is apparently their star witness um i guess worked for meadows the white house chief of staff and maybe he i don't even know if it's a he or a she by the way because that name is um, very non-gender binary, Cassidy. But, um, uh, you know, whether uh, Cassidy saw, heard, or was involved in something that, you know, changes the dynamic. Absent that, uh, what we've been hearing from Liz Cheney uh, and others is that what they're trying to establish is a pattern of involvement dating back several months that this was the fulfillment not an not not an out an explosion of excessive enthusiasm panic and hysteria but the fulfillment of a long-term plan um uh, they, they use it they've been using a word that is now escaping me you know it's like uh, collusion but it's not collusion it's some and it's not a legal word it's the idea that there was a growing sense that the that the um, logical end result of a process that did not lead to Mike Pence uh, doing what they think he was supposed to do, which is announce that he could not certify the election and was looking for a separate set of electors in some of these states, would be uh, a storming of the Capitol. That that was part of the plan. That the plan wasn't just John Eastman's cockamamie nonsense and the my pillow guy pouring the insides of his crappy pillows on 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 the on the capitol grounds and all that but that but that uh this was like the okay pl flight 93 is crashing what we do when we you know to pull the parachute is we we invade the capitol i mean okay i'll just say that so if 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 the idea here is to somehow get trump um, to 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 
revealed Trump as having been on board with that sort of decision tree. Um, I don't think that will happen because I don't actually believe that. Um, I think he contributed to what happened on January 6th, but I don't but I, I don't actually believe that right. he was in favor of saying if it if we don't overturn this the way we want to, then we'll have people storm the Capitol. I don't think that's actually the case. I mean, I think it was actually implicit in what he was saying in the days leading up. You know, it's going to be wild. Uh, let, we're going to go down to the, you know, remember he said in his speech, we're going to go down to the Capitol. It's not that it it wasn't implicit. In oh, I had people logic. in my life saying things are going to happen on January 6th. And it's like, nah, people who are hardcore mega types, they knew it was going to happen. I didn't. Well, they knew something was going to happen. And, and that, and they that wanted has something, something magical. Right. Happen. But that has a kind of magical quality to it. You know, it's like the deus ex machina is going to land. You know, it's a heaven's gate. You know, the, the worth is going to end on the state. They didn't know what was going to happen unless they did. I don't think they did. And I think the problem here is that classic problem of proving a conspiracy, which is um, the last mile. You know, it's like you get all the way up to the bad thing that happens. And there has to be the bridge, the thing that says that everybody crossed the bridge into disaster together willingly and with a forethought that's what makes a conspiracy uh, or you know like a conspiracy that 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 gets off the ground and isn't just you know one that the fbi <clears throat> talks you into doing so they can arrest you for i also don't think the, do the audience for this thing has to be <clears throat> you know the, the evidence presented has to be sufficient to put MAGA republicans on their heels it just has to not be aimed at resistance democrats that's really all right. it has to achieve well, this is the interesting appeal. question about the Democrats who are on this committee and the the staff and everybody like that, which is, are they capable of pulling back emotionally and 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 um, logistically to aiming the hearings at the people whom they can win over? Or are they themselves so wrapped up in the, this was the worst day for democracy ever, uh, which it was, by the way, it was one of the worst days in American history. So I just want to stipulate that. I don't, you know, but this was, you know, can they see how to build the case that they want to make dispassionately and without reference to resistance, democratic fetishism and pornography into something that is very, hard-headed, systematic, and airtight. And I don't trust that the Democrats on that committee have any emotional distance from the case that they want to make, which is what a, pro a good prosecutor, by the way, has to have, right? It's like, I know you want to sway the jury and you do jury selection and you try to figure out what the, what jury's like and you, you know, push buttons and all that. But that, that's not the right way to look at that, look at this case. There are people who don't care. There are people who have moved on and are sick of the topic. And there are people who are like, all, all things being equal, will vote for Republicans, but were disturbed by January 6th, who could be reminded by a good set of hearings that are conducted rationally and not with Eric Swalwell yelling and screaming and being a crazy person, uh, where you could make some difference. This is absent the big revelation I'm talking about.
but I don't, I somehow, I just don't think they have it in them that they have this thing. It's was a horrible, horrible thing. They impeached him for it. And that that was proper that they impeached him for it. And in a country that was in a different set of circumstances, he would have been convicted on the impeachment charges in my view, but they go too far. They always go too far. They take it too far. And, and they, you know, I mean, it's like, I don't even know how you take this too far, but they're going to well, take it's it It's inevitable that that will happen for people who want it to happen. <clears throat> Somebody on this panel will engage in bombast and demagoguery inevitably. And that will be Not what just people one, who want right? to discredit this panel will latch on to as the singular event that 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 you know uh, is indicative of all the rest of the proceedings, whether it is or not. That's inevitable. That happens in every committee hearing. I mean, the thing that was the, in my view, the worst piece of news for uh, for the Democrats who want this to be a game changing moment was the story in the New York Times the other day that said that they're hoping that this will reset the groundwork for the midterms. That's bad. See that? I mean, it's uh, that's gauche, too, but it's also doesn't it doesn't reflect how Democrats are behaving or they would be talking about January 6th all day instead of guns, instead of abortion, instead of the stuff that they know based on their polling animates their voters and sends them to the to the polls. That sounds like the Times speaking to two people and re- re- repeating what they said, not what Democratic strategy actually is right. based on our no, own observations. I, no, I agree. But you, that could be what the people on the committee think. People in the committee could think this is going to be fantastic. Help us reset the table for the midterms. That is not what they should be thinking if they actually want to have an effect, if the hearings want to have an effect. Um, you already have, you know, David Brooks and others. David has a very good column today. I commend to everybody's attention, which is, you know, uh, the hearings are pathetic because they are attempting to focus the political conversation in the United States on what happened a year and a half ago. If the focus were on the idea that Republicans emboldened by the success in their own ranks of the election was stolen and we need to you know, grab the levers of power at the state level to make sure that you know, we can steal the 2024 election, if that were a focus, that would be one thing. If this had a focus that wasn't partisan in some odd way if it were really about setting the historical record for january 6th such that you wouldn't want a primetime hearing you know you if you if it's going to be explosive it'll be explosive if they have the hearing at two o'clock in the morning you know on july 4th like it's not the explosiveness comes from the material not the setting or the or the or the you know ridiculous um staging right if, if given all the bells and whistles the tv producer and whatnot you 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 sort of assume that it they won't have the goods in terms of content because it's 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 all it's all sort of being tarted up again it gets it gets to this question that i think is very key to understanding the predicament that the democrats are in now which is do they have the ability to understand they have focus groups, they have this, they have that, they have the ability to understand what they look like 
to people who are not directly in their camp? Do they understand what it is that might be appealing about the message that they have to offer that is different from Republicans? Or are the bubbles that we're all living in so thick that they have no capacity to understand how to talk to people who do not instantly agree with them, how to frame the discussion of issues to people who do not instantly agree with them. This is the threat to them from the abortion and guns discussion, both, which is the people who are, you know, sort of fanatical about abortion rights should not be the people that you're talking to after the abortion decision comes down that ends Roe v. Wade, if that happens. You should be talking to people who are uneasy about abortion and uneasy about removing all rights to abortion or, you know, removing constitutional right to abortion. But, John, who's who's on the fence about January 6th at this point? Right. I mean, is there is there probably a lot of people you don't think I mean, a lot of people have, you know, it's in the rearview mirror for most people. So they're bringing it back into into view. It's in the rearview mirror what happened. But you don't think that they've you sort of you've already come down on one side or another here? It's so hard for me to tell. Like, it's very hard for me. This is where we get back to our bubble. Like, how do we know what people do? People remember January? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, again, the ordinary audience that might see this because it's in prime time that, you know, would be otherwise watching the prices right uh, uh, nighttime edition. Or, you know, or, or, or Chicago, you know, Chicago uh, uh, daycare center, or, you know, whatever. I mean, do they have, do they have delivered and uh, concise opinions about what happened on January 6th? Have they forgotten it already? It happened a year and a half ago. For them, it's a year and a half ago. For us, you know, we talk about it three times a week. I, I, I know what's your, what's your view on this? a cable news viewing audience that's inclined to watch cable news at night will watch this and with the exception of those who tune in to fox prime time for tucker and tune out when sean hannity comes on by the way that very narrow section of the political environment and everybody else won't but let's say they get 10 million people across you know the entire spectrum to or 15 million people across the entire spectrum on these networks preempting coverage to watch it. Are they, have they already like filed their opinion of January 6th away? And it's already had the effect that it's going to have. I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know? I suspect so. Yes. I, I it would be, we look, as you said, we were rightfully, this was, you know, sort of, kept before our our gaze for a, a long time um, because it was mantras. It, it is important. Um, there's there's nothing about this that hasn't penetrated. Um, it's it's as big a news story as as we've had. That's just it. And this isn't going to be <clears throat> enjoyable. This isn't something that people are going to want to do. This is something that people will feel obliged to do those who do it. Um, because it's you mean not watch fun. it. You mean pay attention. To right. It. Unless un- people don't do things that they don't enjoy doing, uh, especially at 8 p.m. on a weekday. So if they feel they have an obligation to do it, professional, moral, political, what have you, they'll tune in. Uh, and otherwise, why would you? Why would you subject yourself to that if you didn't feel obliged to? 
it's all very interesting. And I, I guess we'll, we'll sort of have an answer by next week because because of this focus, that means there'll be polling. There'll be polling that attempts to show whether any needles were moved. And we'll know by the say, a week from now because there will be a moment that cuts through. Some 10, 15, 30 second moment that finds its way out into the news cycle out of this particular event. It won't be the, the two hour spectacular. Right. It never is. Yeah. Yeah. It never is. But I do have to say that it will also be hard to determine whether that moment is a moment, you know, that's sticky because the media will treat it as though it's sticky, as though it is epical, as though it is life changing, as though it is, you know, uh, the moment at which if you don't look at it and say this can never everything like that that you are con- you are joining the mob that wants to destroy american democracy um but it's probably not going to be that moment you know i mean if nicole wallace goes you know completely batshit crazy that doesn't mean that it's the moment it's more as i say it's more like what are the people on fox and friends say Okay, let me start, uh, step back a minute and talk to you guys, uh, not about this depressing topic, but about comfort, luxury, and, uh, and, the, and the feeling of a good night's sleep. Bolenbrecht chooses the, be- the best 100% organic cotton threads on earth. Sheets aren't just buttery, breathable, and impossibly soft to start. They get softer with every wash. They use the highest quality threads on earth. You know, you'll immediately feel a difference. In their iconic signature sheets, which are 100% free from toxins, meaning no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals, Bolin brand sheets fit the deepest of mattresses, labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. And a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. Listen, forget for thread count. Bowling Branch gives you thread quality. It doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have if they aren't the best threads possible, and that's what you get. From those ball and branch sheets, you got free shipping and returns on all orders. So get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Promo code commentary. Uh, so the uh, threat to the American Republic that we hear about from Trump, we got another glimpse into an actual threat to the American Republic one way or another, uh, which is this... Um, a uh, guy who showed up from California uh, right near Brett Kavanaugh's house with a plan to shoot and kill Brett Kavanaugh because he was upset about the uh, leaked uh, uh, decision in the Dobbs case that uh, would overturn Roe v. Wade. A lone shooter uh, near Brett Kavanaugh's house with the intention of assassinating a sitting Supreme Court justice over a over a. Uh, over a decision, a Supreme Court decision, pending Supreme Court decision, um, was not somehow getting the kind of coverage that you might expect if, say, a right-wing guy had come to near Sonia Sotomayor's house or, you know, Stephen Breyer's house or Elena Kagan's house. Does that seem like a fair, are we going in the right place when we talk about this in terms of the media, or do we really want to focus on the fact that we are now living in a country in which the per, a, a, a Supreme Court decision was leaked for the first time, you know, basically in 100 and something years. And 
the leak then spurred somebody to go and consider assassinating a Supreme Court justice to maybe change the terms of that decision because it hasn't been released yet. And he said, he told the cops he wanted his life to have purpose. It should be both. Absolutely. There was only one point to doing this unprecedented thing, releasing this draft decision. It was to either influence proceedings internally or create externalities that would influence proceedings and shape the nature of this judgment before it came out. And you can only assume that one of those externalities that was likely envisioned by this actor was pressure in the form of violent lunatics who would um, foment violence. And we've seen quite a lot of it that haven't been getting a lot of attention. Crisis pregnancy centers across this country have been attacked, have been vandalized, have been firebombed for weeks. This individual for who's not, nobody is responsible for his act of violence but himself. Um, but his act of violence was apparently very premeditated um, and very well prepared. And it was only the presence of agents near this property, near Brett Kavanaugh's property, that convinced him to turn around where he, when he was subsequently arrested. But we have been privy to irresponsible rhetoric about how these institutions need to be burned to the ground by the individuals in the press who cover them, mainstream outlets. Uh, and political actors who have been uh, sort of hoping for something momentous to occur uh, that would shape the nature of of this debate, even up to and including something that looked like mob action. Again, no one's responsible for this man's act of violence but himself. But that's not what Democrats think. As they so often remind us, they remind us time and again that Republican rhetoric is absolutely irresponsible, foments violence. And by their own lights, by their own rules, they are complicit in this uh, terrible act, just based Abe. on their own their own standards. Abe. Yeah, I, I think it's very valid to focus on the press downplaying this because uh, if there is no record, if we're, we're all understandably in a state over extremism and maximalism and um, recklessness in, in the in the in the public sphere and in our politics. But if there's no recognition on one whole half of that equation, um, then there is absolutely no getting back from it. If, 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 if you don't acknowledge that, that this is happening on the other side, then, then you're missing half the sort of escalating arms race. Well, it's not true that we're all uh, exercised by extremism. We're exercised by the other. We're exercised by the other team's extremism. We kind of like our own extremism. It's exciting. It's like uh, it's our id. You know, it's 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 uh, it's the uh, it's the emotional expression of our deepest wishes and longings. And people um, have a very hard time, you know, separating themselves from it. And but I want to bring up this quote, this startling quote from Chuck Schumer in March 2020, because. Yeah, the shooter is responsible, or the, not the shooter, the would-be assassin is responsible for his own actions. And uh, that needs to be said 10,000 times over. Chuck Schumer, a crowd of pro-abortion protesters in front of the Supreme Court in March 2020, said the following, quote, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have unleashed the whirlwind and you will pay the price 
You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Now, it's rhetoric. He's a blowhard. He's, you know, he's playing to the crowd, all of that. He just said, he said two years ago, you do this, you won't know what hit you. You are summoning the whirlwind upon yourself. Well, what the hell does that mean? This is what you summon. This is what that means. I mean, he doesn't get to he doesn't get to dial back the consequences of his own rhetoric. Like it's not in an atmosphere in which the in which the guy who was then minority leader of the Senate and is now majority leader of the Senate said, you got a target on your forehead, you guys, if you do what you say you're going to do. And names the guy who was just targeted by a would-be assassin two years ago. I don't think you can just say, well, the assassin is responsible. Is you know, He is 100% responsible. But we, we live in a world in which that rhetoric is acceptable coming out of the mouth of the minority leader of the Senate. Look, we spent four years talking about how Trump's rhetoric was monstrous on this podcast. So I, nobody gets to tell me that, you know, well, what about Trump? Because we said it and we and I, like I said, I think it was proper that he was impeached uh, for uh, in for incitement and it's proper and he should have been convicted. But what Schumer said there ties a that is a direct connection to what happened yesterday. I don't see how you can say that there's not a direct. I mean, it's not a direct connection in the sense that he the guy heard it and then decided two years later to do it. It's that it is the atmosphere, the marinated atmosphere that says you get a whirlwind, you do what you do this and, you know, all bets are off. Congratulations to you, especially because the Supreme Court justices aren't elected by the people. Right. So if you were talking about a, a legislator, leg legislator, he could, you know, you could say, oh, well, he's he's talking about there will be electoral consequences. You know, you'll 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 you reap the whirlwind in terms of of the public disapproval that'll take you out of office. How else? But in this case, what could he be talking about? That's the only the most sanitized version of what <clears throat> was going on and uh, among more fringier elements, I suppose. But nevertheless, uh, mainstream elements on the left, people like, you know, the nation's Supreme Court uh, correspondent who is celebrating death threats to these people publicly. Um, Ian Milheiser over at the at Vox.com, who's their court correspondent, talking about how we need to burn the place down. Uh, Chelsea Manning, who we flagged a while ago, talking about why we need to form our own militias because there's going to be you know violence and it's time to prepare now. And that's the sort of thing that was that this, somebody who does this sort of thing marinates and they don't hang on the words of the Senate majority leader, but it contributes to an overall atmosphere, surely. Uh, and it's one that you know, they only recognize when something like this happens. Like, it's okay for this individual organization to put, uh, you know, the, the addresses of Supreme Court justices online, wink, nod, if you want to exercise your constitutional right to protest in front of their house, which, by the way, isn't a constitutional right, but nevertheless, that's what they say. Uh, then go ahead and go do it. Everybody recognized the menace that that represented and the malicious intention, um, though it was plausibly deniable what their intention was. Nevertheless, that was... That was the environment that has contributed to, again, a series of violent events targeting individual uh, pro-life uh, uh, pro organizations, and now this, this justice. And it culminates uh, after May 13th, 
Department of Homeland Security memo warning that this would happen. Now that memo very cynically said that the threat might was most likely to come from the right, which is entirely bizarre. Quote, some racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists embrace of pro-life narratives may be linked to the perception of wanting to, quote, save white children or fight white genocide, this memo said. Um, but also some extremist acts could come from abortion rights opponents as well. Why on earth would the right have executed violent episodes in, in celebration of a, a Supreme Court decision that went their way? It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But they saw this was coming, sanitized it a little bit for public consumption, but got the word out there that there would be violent, uh, violent episodes as a result of this decision. I mean, the whole point about uh, an atmosphere of, of violence is that it is an unstable atmosphere. It's not, you know, nice, peaceful protests outside somebody's house, which, by the way, is not. Schumer, by the way, endorsed peaceful protests outside people's houses. He said people protest outside my house three or four times a week. Well, I, I've told this story before, but uh, my, my my late sister and her husband, he was an official in the Reagan administration uh, and uh, Elliot Abrams. And there was uh, he was a controversial figure because of the Contras and support for the el salvadorian government against the marxist rebels there and there were protests outside their house a couple of times by a by a very radical uh group and you know my nieces and nephews were in the house my niece and nephews like they were like eight seven six and four something like i mean they were very little kids People were screaming and yelling and calling their father a murderer. You think that is that is that peaceful? I don't know what to call that. He wasn't there, by the way. During the day, he was at the office. What do you call that? It's it's not a peaceful protest. It's not, you know, they're not throwing Molotov cocktails at the window. But, you know, somebody shows up on, on you know, uh, hepped up on a, on, a, on a drug and gets an idea in their head. And it could turn into a Molotov cocktail, number one. And number two, the threat of violence is part of what makes protests protests. You know, we talk about marches and things like that. There's a great sentimentality about this. But as we saw in the George Floyd protests in 2020, the 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 possibility of violence is always marinating in the background and here you had it in the kavanaugh case people protesting kavanaugh's house summoned to kavanaugh's house by this organization that is shockingly named for ruth bader ginsburg i mean talk about you know talk about i have many problems with ruth bader ginsburg but that her name should be evoked for the purposes of directing people to Supreme Court justices' houses so that they should be have a mob try to intimidate them into changing their the vote on on a on a decision is a is an incredible you know uh, act of of uh, of appropriation and you know libel against you know what she stood for but what is that that is the line between violence and nonviolence there is very thin. And it's not it it should come as no surprise that somebody came to possibly, you know, assassinate Brett Kavanaugh, because, as you say, the the Department of Homeland Security itself 
effectively predicted that something like this might come to pass. And the line was thinnest from the from the start of this um, in regards to Brett Kavanaugh. The, 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 the protests outside his home were particularly vicious uh, from the start. Uh, they were they were completely reckless and over the top. So there's you know, this is also a bit of a carryover of of the the general left's hatred of, of Kavanaugh from from. Well, his, and also also hearing. also the frust- the lingering frustration over the fact that they, you know, that they they went after him in the most egregiously false way possible. And 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 uh, and they did not get their way. And uh, and so they doubled down on the supposed merit and justice of their of their cause and their claim and the idea that he's illegitimately on the court because somebody lied about about his behavior when he was 15 years old and made stuff up and you know and 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 he didn't you know he didn't go crawl off in a corner and die and to his credit trump didn't jettison him uh for this and there we are um and so they're they're never going to let that go the way they never let go the false claims against uh, clarence thomas 30 some odd years later so I just, again, like, I don't think we've seen another thing to say about the press and the coverage of this is, you know, by acting as though this is sort of like par for the course in some fundamental way, uh, they are encouraging more of it. I mean, they're implicitly encouraging more of it. So if you don't say, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, look at this, this is happening, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. When people want to start thinking about doing large scale action in response to when the decision actually comes down, if it comes down the way the leaked draft has it, uh, no pause is going to be given by the idea that, you know, uh, people are, you know, the press is responding critically to these actions. If the press doesn't respond critically to these actions, it's like a kind of yellow to green light on going ahead and doing them because you're probably going to get favorable coverage when you start. It's particularly egregious because anytime a Republican does something irresponsible, objectively irresponsible, the press descends on the entire Republican conference in Congress to get or not get their opinion on the matter. When Paul Gosar tweeted a video showing him uh, killing an anime, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a grotesque video, but nevertheless, one that was an attempt at, I suppose, one bizarre act of humor, not designed to animate any sort of backlash, but could foment one, perhaps. Um, the AP did a story on how Republicans were silent about it. When Eric Greitens, who's likely to be the Republican nominee for Senate in Missouri, posted a video on Twitter of him and Donald Trump Jr. firing semi-automatic rifles at a range it was taken as a signal to violent extremists on the right. And those was in The Guardian. This was in The Washington Post. The Washington Post op-ed um, in, in March of 2022, way after Donald Trump was out of office, said that Donald Trump's violent rhetoric had created a hold on the Republican Party and the Republican Party was obliged to disavow it vocally, uh, in public, and often. Not just once, frequently. Uh, the double standard here is is quite apparent. And it's a standard that they created themselves, so they should be held to it. And they don't just do it for a news cycle, by the way. It becomes uh, a way of understanding the GOP. You know, it becomes a sort of stand in for 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 what the party is about. It beca- uh, There's, a, you know, a whole campaign. 
so uh, tonight at eight, tune in, be there or be square. Uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow morning and we'll see uh, whether I'm right that there's a surprise or whether uh, it's all, you know, what, what, what it's all about, you know, uh, cutting clips uh, to go, you know, to do fan service on, on the cable networks that, uh, that, that are aligned with the Democrats. So until then, uh, for Abe and Noam, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.